Breathing in, I invite the Buddha to sit with my back. Breathing out, I invite Lord Buddha to breathe with my lungs. Buddha sitting with my back. Buddha breathing with my lungs. is sitting, Buddha is breathing, Buddha is smiling, I enjoy the sitting, I enjoy the breathing, I enjoy the smiling. Buddha is sitting, Buddha is breathing. I don't have to sit. I don't have to breathe. I let him do. Buddha is sitting. I enjoy the sitting. Buddha is breathing. I enjoy the breathing. Good morning, dear friends. Today is May the 7th in the year 2008, and we are in Hanoi for our retreat, Engage Buddhism in the 21st century, and this is the third day of our retreat. I hope you enjoy uh, walking, and uh, when we walk together, we should not go too slowly. Uh, when we breathe in, we may like to make uh, two steps or three. We, we, walk, we walk normally. And when you breathe in, you may say, every step. And when you breathe out, you may say, is life. Every step is life. Mỗi bước chân là sự sống. And you touch life. And when you feel that you are successful in touching life and the wonders, 
you change the words. Every step is a miracle. Every step is a miracle. Mỗi bước chân là phép là and you touch the miracles of walking on earth. We are disciple of a Zen master whose name is Linji. And he said that uh, the miracle is not to walk on uh, thin air, but to walk on earth. The miracle is walking on earth, dear Han Thang Thong. And we enjoy performing a miracle while walking. It's so wonderful to be alive and to be walking on this planet. Every step is a miracle. So we should enjoy every step. And not only when we walk together that we practice like that, but when we are alone, we also apply this uh, art of uh, walking. Every step should be a miracle. And mindfulness make it possible that every step help us to touch the wonders of life. Every step become a miracle. We are performing miracles at every time, every moment. And then we move to the third sentence. Every step is healing. Every step is healing. Mỗi bước chân là trị liệu. And we feel the healing taking place. This is not auto-suggestion. This is the real feeling that if you walk relaxingly, peacefully like that, healing is every step. And then the, the fourth uh, sentence, every step is freedom. Every step is freedom. We walk like a Buddha. We are free from our afflictions, our fear, our anger, because we are in the kingdom of God. We are in the pure land of the Buddha to enjoy every step. The French uh, writer, André Gide, he said that uh, God is happiness, Dieu et bonheur. And God is available 24 hours a day. Dieu est disponible 24 heures sur 24. And if God is available 24 hours a day, His kingdom is also available to us 24 hours a day. So make ourselves available to the kingdom and enjoy walking in the kingdom every day. There is no day when I do not enjoy walking in the kingdom. And I want my friends to do the same. The kingdom is available. If you have some freedom in your heart, you have mindfulness, concentration, you can enjoy the kingdom in the here and the now. You enjoy the pure land of Amitabha Buddha. 
at every step. The pure land is now or never. So when we walk together as a group, as a Sangha, there will be no distance between, uh, no big distance between, uh, between us. We adapt the same kind of speed. So we go like a river and that uh, emanate uh, a powerful energy that will penetrate in every one of us. And people see us walking like that, they will be penetrated by our peace, our joy. Maybe we can do some walking meditation around uh, Ho Hoang Kiem, the lake of uh, the restoration of uh, um, the sword, and enjoy uh, the lake. In Buddhism, we learn of uh, elements, um, factors of uh, enlightenment. Buddhism is about enlightenment. Mindfulness is already enlightenment. When we are aware of what is going on, we are awake. We don't live like in a dream anymore. So mindfulness makes it possible that we get enlightenment every moment. When I breathe in, and I know that I am breathing in, that is already enlightenment. Enlightenment is always enlightenment about something. And in this case, I breathe in, and I know I am breathing in. And when you walk, and you will become aware of every step. So mindfulness is make possible for you to be enlightened on the fact that you are alive, you are walking on earth. So enlightenment is not something very far away. And in the teaching of the Buddha, we heard of the seven factors of enlightenment. And mindfulness is one of these factors. Concentration is one of these factors. And you may be surprised to hear that joy is one of the seven factors of enlightenment. Without joy, you cannot get enlightenment. And enlightenment is joy itself. So when you are aware Uh, of uh, your breath, your step, you are enlightened, you are awake, and you enjoy yourself, you enjoy your time of being there on earth, you enjoy your steps, you enjoy your breath, you enjoy the pure land of the Buddha, you enjoy the... um, Kingdom of God. So, uh, joy is one factor of enlightenment. The practice of Buddhism should include joy. If you have no joy in the practice, that's not what the Buddha wants us to do. 
And another factor of enlightenment is ease. Light, being light, being peaceful. If you don't have the lightness in yourself, if you don't have peace in yourself, there is no enlightenment. Pasadi. Pasadi is the term in uh, Pali. And it translated as Khin uh, Am in Vietnamese. Khin means uh, light and An means peace. And it is uh, you feel light, you feel peace. Peaceful. So feeling light, feeling peaceful, feeling relaxed is a factor of enlightenment. And uh, let us go back to to the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is ill-being. And yesterday we have agreed with each other that the first aspect of ill-being that we, we feel is the tension, the stress, the heaviness in our body, in our mind, right? So, tension, stress, heaviness. In our body and in our mind, that's part of ill being. And we know that the third noble truth is the cessation of your being. The cessation of your being means the presence of well-being, like the absence of darkness means the presence of light, right? When, when ignorance is no longer there, wisdom is there, right? When you remove darkness, what is there is light. So the cessation of ill-being means the presence of well-being, and that is the truth that is opposite to the first noble truth. So the third, uh, the third uh, noble truth, instead of uh, calling it cessation of ill-being, you may like to call it uh, well-being. And I think uh, Dharma teacher of our time should uh, use the word well-being to make it more positive. They are the same thing. So, 
the teaching of the Buddha confirm the truth that well-being is possible. Because there is ill-being, that is why well-being is possible. And if ill-being is described first in terms of attention, stress, and heaviness, well-being first is described in terms of lightness and peace, relaxation, la détente. Relaxation, lightness, peace. And with your body, with your breath, with your feet, and with your mindfulness, you can reduce the stress, you can reduce the tension, and you bring in about, you bring about the relaxation, the lightness, the peace. So the Four Noble Truths can be spoken in very concrete terms. And we have uh, ways, we have uh, the methods of uh, practice so that we can reduce tension, stress, and heaviness. And that should be seen in the fourth noble truth, the path. The path leading to the cessation of ill-being. But now, modern Dharma teachers would like to call the fourth noble truth, the path, of well-being is the same. The cessation of ill-being means the beginning of well-being is so simple. The Buddha always reminds us of that. When he speaks of uh, ignorance, avidya, He said that there is ignorance, there is a wrong perception, there is delusion, avidya. But you can remove avidya, you can remove uh, delusion, you can remove ignorance. The destruction of Ignorance, the extinction of ignorance, bring about the birth of wisdom, of light. Vô minh diệt, mention. It means when, uh, when the avidya, when ignorance is no longer there, Enlightenment, wisdom, insight is there. So it's very clear that when darkness is no longer there, something else must be there. And that something else is light. So when ill-being is not there, something else should be there. And that is well-being. 
So who said that the teaching of the Buddha is pessimistic? <laughs> he confirms that happiness is possible. Well-being is possible. And you can, you can make it. You can do it. So when we, we talk about the fourth noble path in terms of uh, well-being, and then the path is the path of well-being, And that is a noble path. So the path of well-being. The Buddha proposed exercises that can reduce the tension, that can release the tension, that can bring lightness and uh, peace into our body and our mind. And that is uh, included in the path. We know that the Buddha gave us uh, very concrete uh, practices. If you study, for instance, the sutra on the mindfulness of breathing, you, you see that the 16 exercises, exercises proposed by Buddha is a, a very uh, scientific in its presentation. The first exercise, breathing in, I know this is my in-breath. Breathing out, I know this is my out-breath. The second, breathing in, I follow my in-breath all the way through. Breathing out, I follow my out-breath all the way through. So when you practice like that, you become your in-breath, your out-breath, and you are detached from the past, from the future, from your projects. And uh, the in-breath and out-breath bring relaxation, concentration, life into your body and to your mind. And that is already the beginning of well-being. And in the third exercise, the Buddha proposed, breathing in, I'm aware of my whole body. First, you go back to your breath, which is a part of your body. And you go, and then second, you go back to your body by the way of the breath, the royal way of going home. That's your in-breath. And the fourth exercise, breathing in, I release the tension in my body. I think uh, all of us who live in this uh, 21st century have to practice these exercises, whether we call ourselves a Buddhist or not, because all of us are victims of uh, stress and tension and hectic life. And this exercise can be done in the sitting position or lying position. We can survive with this exercise. And doctors, nurses, school teachers have to practice in order to keep them fresh, available, 
so that they can help others to do the same. And that is about dealing with the body. When the Buddha, uh, when we come to the realm of feelings, the Buddha proposed very much the same thing. And the seventh exercise, breathing in, I'm aware of the feeling in me, the painful feeling in me, or the painful emotion in me, like fear, anger. Mindfulness is used in order to recognize and embrace that painful emotion or feelings. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our feelings and emotions. We should not let our feeling and our emotion destroy us and push us uh, to do uh, things that will be uh, devastating, destructive. And uh, generating the energy of mindfulness to recognize your painful feeling and emotion is a very important practice. And the eighth exercise of mindful breathing is to release the tension in your feeling, in your emotion. Because you know how to embrace tenderly your emotion, your painful feelings in mindfulness, you are doing like a mother holding her child and you release the tension in that feeling, in that emotion and you get a relief. You can see the compassion of the Buddha in these exercises. He knows the human being quite well. And his teaching dated from 2,600 years ago are still very relevant to our time, even more relevant to our time. That is why when you speak about the path of well-being, you should include, first of all, the practice that can reduce the tension, the stress, the heaviness. And this is our daily practice. If parents and teachers practice, and then they will be able to help their children practice. And if you are the minister of uh, education, I suggest that you you bring that kind of uh, uh, training and learning into uh, the school, into school. Elementary school already, you have to teach the children how to do it, how to relax. And you can imagine the teacher leading, the school teacher leading a session of total relaxation to their children. It's very beautiful. And uh, two years ago, when I spoke at uh, UNESCO in um, in Paris, I proposed that UNESCO uh, set up a school of peace. And in and so that people can come, uh, school teachers and others can come to learn these kind of techniques. And we plum, in Plum Ridge we can volunteer to come and teach without salary. 
So when we look at the first noble truth, ill being, we recognize aspects, different aspects of ill beings. And then we wish that uh, we can stop ill being in order to stop well being. And since we look deeply into the first noble truth, ill being, we discover the second noble truth which is the making of ill-being. The making of ill-being or the path leading to ill-being. This is also a path. But this path leads to well-being. This is also a path. But this is a path leading to ill-being. And many of us are treading this path. We are getting ill-being every day by the way we consume, by the way we work, by the way we deal with each other. The path leading to the cessation of well or ill-being, now we call it the path leading to well-being. It is called a noble path. And this is not so noble. We call the ignoble path. <laughs> the ignoble path that leads to ill-being. And this is the noble path leading to well-being. So if tension, stress, and heaviness is here, we know that a hectic life, Deadline and so on are at the roots of this kind of uh, ill being. So we discover. Every one of us can sit down and describe the four noble truths as we experience them. We touch the suffering in us, and we, des- we, we, des- we, we describe, we, we, we make a list of our suffering, and the suffering around us, and we have an image of the first normal truth. And then when we look deeply, we discover the second normal truth. We see the roots. If we don't see the roots, we cannot uh, find a path. And the Buddha confirms that the cessation of your being, the well-being, well-being is possible. So this is uh, good news. And we know that it is possible. The healing, the transformation uh, is possible. And that is why learning about the first and the second path, the third path, we see the path uh, of uh, well-being manifested in front of us very clearly. If uh, the truth of ill-being includes the include the 
conflict war anger hate we can put the opposite the opposite of these things in the in the third noble truth if there is conflict here and then there should be reconciliation here if uh, there is anger here there should be compassion here if there is uh, the blocking of communication uh, we have uh, we have uh, communication here good communication here when there is a uh, good communication we can help each other remove uh, wrong perceptions wrong perceptions is uh, woman is uh, ignorance is delusion here is insight and we can see that in the path we have the practice of listening deeply with compassion in order to understand and using loving speech in order to restore communication and that is part of the path the path cannot be detached from from the other truth you can only see the path through the fourth noble truth through the the the, the, the three other uh, noble truth so the third is the opposite of the first and looking into the second noble truth we see the path leading to the cessation of ill being and uh, the beginning of well-being you don't need to be a scholar you only need to be a practitioner in order to present the four noble truths of the buddha in the most concrete effective and clear way because we all have experience ill being and suffering we just look deeply we just mention all aspects of our ill being and then if we look deeply into these sources of ill being we discover the second noble truth and then the path begin to appear very very clearly we can come together as a group of five or ten and we can share about the truth of your being 
and one person will write down the aspects of ill-being on a sheet of paper. Because we are using our uh, practice of looking deeply, collectively, in understood sittings. Twelve people, twenty people sitting together, using concentration, mindfulness, and looking in order to discover the truth of your being. And one person will write it down. And then we come to the second truth, the truth of uh, the making of your being. We must have lived in such a way that this this ill being has come to us. So we describe it the way we have done in order to make this ill being a reality. So one person go write down how these aspects of ill being have come into existence. And this is the newest version of the Four Noble Truths. And the Buddha and the Buddha expect us to do that. Because in his time, the list should be different. The suffering of his time should be different. But the suffering of our time is not the same. So we need a description of the Four Noble Truths very clear. Very clear. And our practice will be based on that description of the Four Noble Truths. There is nothing mystical here. Everything is clear. Everything can be described in a scientific way. And when you have come up with a beautiful description of the Four Noble Truths, please share with us. And we'll combine all the best kind of sharing in order to make a Dharma book for the new generation of practitioners. The Sangha should do it. We have to help the Buddha. You are the continuation of the Buddha. You should help the Buddha. You should present the teaching of Buddhism in such a way that will be relevant to our time to the younger generation. And we should use our intelligence, our wisdom, our art in order to do so. Helping the Buddha, you are very kind to have the intention to help the Buddha. If you don't help the Buddha, who will? I'd like to uh, go back a little bit on the history of engaged Buddhism. In the 50s, I began to write uh, because, uh, because people need to have a kind of uh, orientation so that they can overcome their their confusion. One day I wrote about the relationship between uh, religious belief and the way we organize our society. I based on uh, August Comte, 
and describe the history of the uh, evolution of our uh, society. First, our society were organized uh, uh, in uh, groups of people called uh, tribes. And then uh, with time, uh, several tribes will come together and finally we set up kingdoms with a king. And when the time comes when we, are, we have enough of kings, we have had enough of kings, and we wanted to create democracies, republic democracy. And our belief, our religious belief, had been changing along the way. First of all, we have uh, something parallel to the establishment of tribes, that is the belief in polytheism. We believe that there are many gods, and each god has a power. And you are free to choose one god and to worship, and that god will protect you, support you against the other gods, against the other tribes. But when we come into kingdoms, and then our way of belief, our tendency to believe has, will change also, and we come to monotheism. There's only one God, the most powerful God, and we should only worship one God and not many gods. But when we come to democracies, there's no king anymore. Everyone is equal to everyone else and we rely on each other to, to live. And that is why monotheism uh, is changed into the belief in interdependence, interbeing. In a system of belief where there is no longer God, we are fully responsible for our life, for our world, for our planet. And I wrote things like that uh, during the time uh, I was trying to build up uh, engaged Buddhism. In 63-64 we establish uh, the order of interbeing the birth of uh, the order of interbeing is very meaningful we need only to study the 14 precepts the fourteen mindfulness trainings in order to understand why and how 
the order of interbeing was uh, established. At that time, the war was going on very fiercely. And it is a kind of conflict between ideologies. The North had, had its own ideology, the South had its own ideology. One side is Marxism, Leninism, one side is personalism, capitalism. And not only we fight with ideologies imported from the outside, but we fight also with weapons imported from the outside. We imported guns and bombs from Russia, from China, from America. And as a Buddhist, as someone who practices peace, reconciliation, and non and 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 uh, and brotherhood sisterhood if you don't want to accept such a kind of war you cannot accept a war where brothers are killing brothers with ideologies imported from the outside and with weapons imported from the outside so the order of interbeing was born as a resistance uh, movement, a spiritual resistance movement. And it is based completely on the teaching of the Buddha. And if you read the first mindfulness training, you know that this is the practice of non-attachment to views, freedom from all ideologies. This is a direct answer to the war. This is uh, a direct answer to uh, dogmatism. Everyone was ready to die and to kill for their belief. The first mindfulness training aware of the suffering created by fanaticism and intolerance. We are determined not to be idolatrous about or bound to any doctrine, theory, or ideology, even Buddhist ones. This is, this is uh, the the lion's roar. Buddhist teachings are guiding means to help us learn to look deeply and to develop our understanding and compassion. They are not doctrines to fight, kill, and die for. So this is a direct uh, answer to the conflict, to the ideological war fought with uh, uh, weapons imported from the outside. The teaching of the Buddha concerning views is very clear. And this is dated uh, from the 
from the Sutta Nipata. We should not uh, venerate, we should not uh, be attached to any view. We have to transcend all views. And right view, first of all, means the absence of all views. Attachment from views is the source of suffering. Suppose uh, you climb on a ladder and on the fourth step you think that you are very high already, the highest, and then you are stuck. You have to release the fourth step in order to be able to get to the fifth step. In order to be really scientific, Scientists have to learn how to release what they have found in order to come to a higher kind of truth. So this is the teaching of the Buddha. You have some view, some understanding. Learn to release them in order to go higher. When you consider something to be the truth and you are attached to it, you have no chance to go further. And there is a story uh, about uh, a merchant who left uh, his uh, little boy home and went for his business. And in his absence, uh, the pirates came and burned down the village and uh, took the little boy away. And when our merchant came home, he was so terrified. And he saw the char body of a child close to his burned house. He believed right away that is the rest of his son. So he threw himself to the ground, he cried, he beat his chest, he pulled his hair, he regretted that he had left his uh, little boy home, so now his little boy is dead. A lot of guilt, a lot of suffering. So according to the Indian uh, tradition, uh, he organized a cremation ceremony and took uh, the ash and put it in a very beautiful bag and he carried with him day and night. And believe, he believed that his beloved son is now only ash. And this story is told directly by the Buddha. When we, when, when, when the merchant uh, go to sleep, he had his uh, bag of ash with him. When he went to walk, he has his bag of uh, ash with him. He's so attached to his son, his only son. So, one day, the little boy was able to escape. And at midnight, at one or two o'clock in the morning, he came home to the new home, and he knocked at the door. And the merchant was... uh, 
crying silently because of his grief. And he hear the knock of the door. He said, who is that? Who is, who is that this time still disturbing? And the little boy said, Daddy, it's me. And he didn't believe it. He already had, he had already believed that his son is dead. There must be some naughty child outside disturbing him. So he shouted at him, and he did not want, he did not uh, uh, get up and open the door. And finally, the child had to go away, and the merchant lost his child forever. So Buddha said that at some time, somewhere, you adopt something as the truth, an ideology. And you revere that as the absolute truth, and you are caught. And even if the truth comes to knock on your door, you refuse to open your door. And this is a lesson about non-attachment to views. And the real spirit of, uh, the basic spirit of uh, Buddhism is non-attachment to views. Wisdom is not views. Insight is not views. We should be ready to release our notions, our ideas, in order for true insight to be possible. Suppose you have an idea about impermanence, non-self, interbeing, vulnerable truth. That may be dangerous because these are only views. You are very proud that you know something about the Four Noble Truths, about interbeing, about interdependent origination, uh, about uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight. But that teaching is only a means for you to get insight. And if you are attached to these views, to these teachings, you are lost. The teaching about impermanence, non-self interbeing, is to help you to get the insight of impermanence, interbeing, and non-self. It's like a match. You use the match in order to produce fire. And while fire is born, it will consume the match. You use the teaching in order to produce insight. And when you have the insight, it will burn away the teaching. It's like the finger pointing to the moon. The Buddha said, my teaching is like a finger pointing to the moon. You should be skillful. You look in the direction of my finger and you can see the moon. And if you take my finger to, the, to be the moon, you can never get see, to see the moon. So, even the Buddha Dharma is not the insight, is not the truth, it's only instruments for you to get the truth. And this is a very basic in Buddhism. So what is the outcome of attachment to views, fanaticism? 
and we look deeply into the nature of the war in Iraq, we can see that uh, it is also a religious war. Uh, people are using uh, religious belief as uh, energy, as a strength in order to back up the war. Um, Mr. Bush was supported by many evangelists and uh, the resistance, the fighting, the terrorists in Iraq, they are backed up by the Muslim belief. And so this is somehow a religious war. And that is why to, re, to, to be free from uh, views is the basic practice of Buddhism. And peace cannot be if we uh, still maintain our fanaticism concerning our views. In 1965, I wrote a small book on the war in Vietnam called Lotus, Vietnam, Lotus in a Sea of Fire, published by Hill and Wang in America, published in 66. Lotus in a sea of fire. The war in Vietnam was raging. It is an ocean of fire. We are killing each other. We allow uh, uh, American bombers to come and destroy our forest, destroy our people. We allow weapons from China, from Russia to come. And therefore, it is really, it was really a sea of fire, ocean of fire. But Buddhism was trying to do something. Those of us who do not want to accept the war would like to do something to resist the war. And sometimes we have to burn ourselves alive in order to tell people that we do not want this war. But the Buddhists did not have a radio, a television station. There's no way to express themselves. Whoever is listening, be my witness. I do not accept this war. Let me say this one more time before I die. This is a few lines in my poem. Our enemies are not men. Our enemies are hate, fanaticism, violence. Our enemies are not men. If we kill men, with whom shall we live? That is the kind of teaching and practice in the peace movement in Vietnam. And we needed badly the international support. But uh, over there, you could not hear us. So sometimes we had to burn ourselves alive to see, to tell you that we don't want this war. We don't want brothers killing brothers. Please help stop this, this 
uh, this war, this killing of brothers by brothers. And Buddhism was like a flower of lotus trying to survive in an ocean of fire. And Buddhism is the kind of spiritual strength from the heritage of Vietnam. And he wanted to make use of that spiritual heritage in order to defend ourselves from destruction. And that is why we, chose, we have chosen the, uh, the title Vietnam Lotus in the Sea of Fire. The peace movement in Vietnam at that time was a lotus trying to bloom in an ocean of fire. I translated the book into Vietnamese and uh, an American friend in the peace movement helped uh, bring that uh, book to Vietnam. And the book was printed underground in Vietnam and many young people tried to circulate that book as resistance. Sister Chung Khong who was a professor of biology in the Hue University. One day she brought a copy uh, to Hue for a friend because another friend asked her to bring a copy of that book to another friend. And Sister Tehum was arrested and put into prison because she, she owned one copy of that book. Asked her, she will tell you more about this event. Later on, she she was transferred to a prison in Saigon. So that is uh, some of the things uh, relating to uh, uh, engaged Buddhism. Young friends came to me and asked me, to publish my poems about peace. And they call it anti-war poetry. I said that, okay, if you want to do it, please do. And then they collected about 50 or 60 poems of mine written on this topic, and they submitted to the government of South Vietnam. And uh, 55 of the poems were censored. (laughs) Only a few are left. But uh, our friends were not uh, uh, discouraged by that. So they printed uh, the poems uh, underground. And the poems, uh, the book of poetry so very, very, very quickly. And even uh, some policemen like, uh, secret police like it because they have also suffered because of the war. They come to the bookstore and say that you should not display like this. You should hide behind the counter. (laughs) And you should give only when people ask. Things like that. And the radio of Saigon, the radio of Hanoi, the radio of Beijing, 
begin to attack the poems because they are calling for peace. No one wants peace. They want to fight to the end. In 1964 also, we established the School of Youth for Social Service. We trained thousands of young people, including monks and nuns, to go to the countryside and help the peasants rebuild their villages and so on. We help them in four aspects. Education, health, economics, and organization. Our social workers come to a village and play with the children and teach them how to read and write and sing. And when the the people in the village like us, and then we suggest to build a school for the children. And one family uh, gave uh, a few bamboo uh, trees. Another family will uh, bring um, coconut leaves in order to, to make a roof. And then we begin to have a school. And our worker does not have a salary. And uh, after having the school, a school in the village, we set up a dispensary. We brought into the village um, uh, some students of uh, medicine, a doctor, and tried to help uh, one day, two days, and set up uh, uh, a dispensary where we can have uh, rudimentary uh, medicines to help uh, people, uh, fever, um, and, 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 and so on. And we also uh, organize um, co- cooperatives. We also try to teach people how uh, the kind of uh, handicraft that they can uh, do in order to increase the income of the family. We organize themselves. So the School of Youth for Social Service uh, was founded on that spirit that we don't, need, uh, we, we don't need to wait for the government. We have to begin with our, ourselves from the grassroots. And we have trained uh, many young people, including young monks and nuns. And finally, we had uh, more than uh, 10,000 workers working from Quang Tri uh, to, the, to, to the south. And during the war, we help uh, sponsor uh, uh, more than 10,000 uh, uh, orphans. And that is part of NH Buddhism, uh, the young people. Uh, this year, we intend to set up an organization of young Buddhists in Europe. Uh, we call it uh, Young Buddhist uh, for a healthy and uh, compassionate society. Because our society is not very healthy right now. 
so much violence, so much despair, so much drugs, so much suicide, so much depression. And we have been offering uh, retreats a little bit everywhere in Europe, in America, and Asia. And there are so many young people who have come to us. Now we want to organize them. And they will use the five mindfulness trainings as their practice. And they, they will engage themselves into society to help uh, uh, sanify, uh, to help uh, uh, produce a healthier society, a society with more compassion. So if uh, you are, if my friends here are inspired by the idea, uh, please, when you go home, uh, invite the young people and uh, set up uh, that group of, of people, young Buddhists, for a healthy and compassionate society. Last month we went to Italy, Italy. And we had one day of practice with the young people in the city of uh, Napoli. The 500 uh, young men and women came and practiced with us. They love it so much. And we know that they are ready to engage in the practice of uh, peace, uh, of helping to produce a healthier society, a more compassionate society. Uh, our young monks and nuns will be involved in that organization also. We also uh, set up, we have also set up an European Institute of Applied Buddhism. Applied Buddhism. And I hope that during this retreat, Sister Annabelle Chengdek uh, will have a presentation on the Institute of uh, Applied Buddhism, the various courses that we have and we are going to offer uh, to the people in Europe. And we shall have campuses in America, in Asia also. We deliver certificate of completion after a retreat, extra retreat, like uh, the three-month retreat in Plum Village, and in Deer Park, uh, everyone who has completed uh, successfully the three-month retreat were uh, given a certificate of completion uh, issued by the European Institute of Applied Buddhism. In the Institute of Applied Buddhism, there are many interesting courses, and you may like to help organize a course like that uh, in your area. We will send Dharma teachers like the course, uh, 21 day uh, course for young men and women who are preparing to set up a family because uh, uh, they can learn how to make uh, their conjugal life into a success. They have to learn many things to prepare themselves. And there will be courses for those who have been diagnosed with uh, age uh, cancer, so that they will be, learn how to live with their sickness 
Because if you know how to accept and believe in your sickness, and then you can live 20 more, 30 more years. So we will offer courses like that. And uh, there will be courses for business uh, people, uh, for school teachers and so on. And I hope that in this retreat, uh, we have time for a presentation made by Shiko Chang Duk uh, for, for the Institute of uh, Applied Buddhism. And we intend that, uh, to ask uh, the Open Institute of Applied Buddhism to deliver to those of us who will complete uh, uh, successfully this uh, seven-day retreat in Hanoi. And you know that uh, uh, one day you might be inspired to become a Dharma teacher, to go out and help people. And this kind of certificate will help you to become an official Dharma teacher. Mm. If one day you, you like to do the work, you, you like to be a continuation of the Buddha out there in society, uh, engage Buddhism. And now we are using the word uh, applied Buddhism, this kind of engage Buddhism also. We continue tomorrow. <laughs>